After his long-term partner left him for someone she described as younger but more mature, David Bramwell knew it was time for change. He embarked on a global adventure to seek out his utopia, a community that would suit his singular needs and teach him how to be a better person. After nearly a year living with anarchists, pranksters, Italian Time Lords, beatniks, ashram trainees, a Debbie Harry obsessive, and a Belgian punk who listed pizza toppings in his sleep, David was nearing the end of his journey. But he still had one last place to visit, an entire eco-city built from scratch in the Arizona desert. Join him for the final mind-boggling journey on the number nine bus to Utopia, an auditorium six-part special. Episode six, bringing it all back home. I'd been in America for a few months now, visiting co-housing groups around San Francisco, blissing out at a hot spring community in Big Sur, and living the life of an ascetic at an ashram. I'd even fallen into an open relationship with a woman called Remington. I still thought a lot about my ex, Alex, but the wound was healing. Some relationships reach a natural end. I was starting to realise that we'd reached a point in our lives where we both wanted very different things. I wanted things to carry on as they were. She wanted to marry someone called Dougal. It would never have worked out. And besides, we had that whole I'm Aries, she was Pisces with Capricorn rising thing going on. Or was she Leo with Capricorn drooping? I couldn't remember now. My old life just felt so far away. While homesickness was starting to creep in, I was still driven to keep exploring different communities in search of some kind of utopia. As such, since almost the beginning of my adventures, I'd been fascinated with an Italian architect called Paolo Soleri. I'd pored over his books and nodded my head umpteen times at his ideas. Like Falco at Damanhur, Soleri thought big. In the late 60s, he'd begun building an eco-city in the Arizona desert. Designed for human intercourse and discourse, the city is our appropriate habitat. We must all live communally. It is a mistake to live alone. We need to learn from each other. His solution was Arcasanti a low-impact desert city for an optimum population of 5,000, but occupying only 25 acres. There'd be no need for cars inside Arcasanti. Everything would be in walking distance. Nature was right there on your doorstep. Provided, of course, you loved lizards, sand, cacti and intense heat. Time magazine hailed Arcasanti as... The most important experiment in urban architecture undertaken in our lifetimes. Arcasanti seemed to combine the best elements of alternative communities with the city. Our cities of the future will be integrated ecosystems, dense megastructures that grow their own food and produce their own energy and consciousness. Our lesson on this journey is compassion. I had to visit Arcasanti and meet this man. Remington, despite being in several relationships with men with Celtic tattoos, beards and day-glow trousers, was back from her travels and chose to accompany me on the long drive. Are you aware you were doing 100 miles an hour? Yes. He's cute. Knock it off, lady. Are you aware that the limit here is 65? Yep. And that it's raining? Yes. May I see your driving license? Mm, three parking tickets and two speeding fines in the past six weeks. Rock and roll, Englishman. Your ticket. 
Have a nice day. Honey, maybe it's a good idea if I drive for a bit. Ahead of us lay an endless vista of grass and flatlands. On the horizon, distant trains cut through the desert, paper chains pulled along an invisible thread. The road was dotted with stubbly bushes, tumbleweeds, squat motels, and a tempting sign for a ghost town. Oh, there's a cute hitcher. I'm gonna pick him up. Do you find everyone cute? I think it looks like a dick. Hey, I'm Barlow. Room for me and my guitar? Sure, honey. I'm Remington. David. Hey, nice accent. Mind if I, mind if I smoke? Sweetheart, it's compulsory. Jesus, it's strong. Uh, California's finest. Remington, are you sure? Honey, I can smoke and drive with my eyes closed. Yeah, I'm not sure the insurance covers it, though. Touched her and she touched me. Oh Lord, we were touched. I'm sure you guys don't want to hear uh, any more of my songs, do you? Nope. Nine really was plenty. Oh, it's getting dark out. Yeah. Hey, hey, we're entering the uh, land of the Skinwalkers. Yeah, you guys heard of the Skinwalkers? Man and Evo describe them as carriers of the death powder. They're like, like running their elbows and carry like handfuls of bone dust, you know? Yeah, yeah, cross the skinwalker's path and he'll blow bone dust in your face, man. Take your fucking soul. I, I'm thinking of writing a concept album about it. Oh my God, that's terrifying. A friend of mine swears he was driving on this road a few years back. He sees this figure thing like scuttling across the road on his fucking elbows. Man, he just put his foot down. I mean, you know, stop on this road and you're a dead man. Oh, you're fucking freaking me out, Barlow. Me too. I can't stop thinking about that concept album. We'll need to stop soon, though. I'm busting for the loo. Oh, thank God. Look, there's a gas station ahead. Remington, it's coming up. Can you just slow... Re Remington, can you just... Re Remington? I would experience numerous challenges on my search for Utopia, but I'd say the hardest of them all proved to be peeing in an empty Coke bottle in a speeding car driven by a paranoid stoner. I wasn't sorry to see the back of Barlow when we finally dropped him off on the outskirts of Phoenix. Right, Englishman, your turn again at the wheel. Barlow, here's your drop-off. Yeah, thanks, man. Hey, Remington, stay in touch, yeah? I'll send you some links to my music. Sure thing. What a dick. You said he was cute. I said he was a dick before it was fashionable, before we picked him up. I can spot him a mile off. I've got dick dark. Shut up and drive. I was prepared to be a bit disappointed with Arcasanti. When I'd asked one of its earlier visitors from Damanhur, Sunset Butterfly Pineapple, what she'd thought of it, she'd replied, Do you like concrete? I had to admit, I hadn't completely figured out my relationship with concrete, but that was all about to change. As we approached the city of Arcasanti, it revealed itself to be a jumble of concrete structures, stood amongst long pathways peppered with conifers and bushes. Arcasanti looked like a 60s university campus, crossed with the set from Logan's Run. By the entrance was an open-plan two-storey building with a cafeteria, gift shop and offices. 
Large round windows offset the drab concrete with stunning views onto the desert scrub and distant hills. In the centre of the city stood a series of domed concrete archways, their interior painted in strips of colour that had long since faded under the desert sun. Remington and I found a small dark games room near the centre of the complex, kitted out with pool and a ping-pong table. But judging from the layers of dust, it hadn't been used in a long while. It reminded me of the rooms at the abandoned fetish theme park, the Otherworld Kingdom, that I'd visited a few months earlier, unloved and forgotten. I didn't know what to make of the place. Turned out that Remington did. Fuck, what a dump. While I didn't share her cynicism, I hadn't expected the inertia. There was hardly anyone around, and the buildings felt unloved. We returned to the reception and found a friendly tour guide who seemed happy to answer my questions. We're a population of less than 100. Building here has been painfully slow these last 20 years. We're only managing to build one apartment per year. How come? Funding for the city comes exclusively from the sale of bronze wind chimes, sold here in the gift shop. Oh, whose stupid idea was that? Now don't ask. That's Soleri's idea, not ours. Sounds like an asshole. Remington, where can we meet him? Well, he's not here right now. Well, what day is it, Wednesday? You'll have to wait a few days. Is he away? No, he only ever comes in on Fridays. What, he doesn't live in his own dream city? Oh, good God, no. Double asshole. The man who had inspired me with the words, we must all live communally, was actually living alone 65 miles from Arcasanti in the middle of nowhere and driving in once a week just to check up on his experiment. He was, if you will, touching it with a barge pole. The next day, Remington and I visited the remains of a Pueblo, an ancient village built a thousand years ago by a community of farmers and artists. The Pueblo was a similar size to Arcasanti, with more than a hundred rooms inside its two and three-storey buildings. Like Arcasanti, it was built on marginal land, with everything in walking distance and nature on its doorstep. Isn't this just what Arcasanti aspires to be? Consciously or not, Soleri had tapped into a city design that had been established in the desert over a millennium ago. Welcome to the Arcosani Resident School of Thought. Paolo is here to share with you today his thoughts on what Arcosani community can expect when it reaches its optimum population of 5,000. Thank you, Michael. So today, I think it is important that uh, we consider what will be happening when eventually the city reaches its optimum population. Oh, current population, a hundred. All miserable as fuck. Current rate of expansion, one room per year. These assholes will have to wait nearly 5,000 years before it reaches its optimum population. Uh, thank you. Next, I'd like to welcome David from England, who's researching communities, and would like to ask Paolo a few questions. Thank you. Pa Paolo, it's a privilege to meet you and visit Arcasanti. I've not been here very long, only a few days, in fact but I've been greatly inspired by your ideas. Uh, but I'm a little confused about the finances of Arcasanti. You're talking today about expanding the city to 5,000 people. So many discussions I've heard at Arcasanti revolve around lack of money. I I'm wondering, to realize your dreams, could Arcasanti be focusing on other ways to generate more income than just selling bronze wind chimes? After only three days here, your views are invalid. You are ignorant. I have nothing more to say.
David, is it David? Yeah. Come on up. Hi, I'm Michael. This is my partner, Elizabeth. We just wanted to apologize for what happened back there earlier today. Your comment deserved a response, but the issues are complex. He's had offers before from big corporations and big companies, but he wants to keep his vision pure. Trouble is, I'm not sure how much he really wants to see this place with 5,000 or even 1,000 people living here. So Larry built this place. It's his baby. He decides what's what. It's an urban laboratory, as he called it. He's the scientist who visits once a week to check up on us and then leaves again. But, honey, how can a community function without being in control of its finances? That's true. But look at this magnificent view. The desert. That is why many of us are here. He was right. It was beautiful. But it wasn't enough. A view can be a wonderful thing, but surely where you're viewing the view from is more important, because that's where you have to live. With Soleri at the helm, Arcasanti was another community that seemed destined to stagnate. And his walking out on me brought to mind the old adage, never meet your heroes. Back in San Francisco, Remington and I said our goodbyes. She was off for a few days to LA with yet another lover. I'd grown fond of her, despite her world-weary cynicism. The previous day, we'd bought a Christmas tree, decorated her flat and shared a final meal. It was a brief taste of being back in a relationship, which I'd missed. But I'd also had to keep an emotional distance. Deep down, I didn't want to be just one of many partners in someone's life. It didn't satisfy my soul. I needed to feel that exclusive intimacy with another who I could love and feel loved by, as I had with Alex. Alex, who I thought I'd started to get over. Alone again, and with the first real stirrings of homesickness, I journeyed north through the Napa Valley to yet another community, Harbin Hot Springs. For all its positivity, I felt like I'd been here too many times. Harbin had hot tubs, optional nudity, and served up a potpourri of New Age beliefs. Its message board advertised courses in somatic therapy, inner sanctuary rhythm work, yurt building, earth child gardening, and rebirthing in a womb-like setting. I presume that didn't just mean it was dark, claustrophobic, and surrounded by meat. In the communal restaurant, a man in a woolly hat was discussing his cutting-edge research into schizophrenia with a woman in a short dress decorated with pictures of dolphins. All it needed was someone playing Hotel California on a guitar, and I'd be out of here. I just sat down with a coffee when I found I had company. Are you on your own? Uh, yeah. If I'd known what was coming, I'd have said no. Sweetheart, you're in luck finding me. I first came here 20 years ago with an Italian escort, but she was so protective and butch, I was the only one wearing a bathing suit in the tubs back then. But look, while you're here, you have to meet Omi. She's a fairy woman, a real fairy woman. There's Lucinda's sacred pipe ceremony on Monday. You must attend that. She's authentic Native American spirit. I mean, she's Jewish and was brought up in the Bronx, but she's a real deal. In fact, she's a shapeshifter. You can look at her in one light, she looks 150. Blink, and she used to be in her early 20s. She's adorable, really smart. She's intelligent and juicy, just right for you. She's doing a PhD on the theme of soul in the community. You seem open like me serious but playful she's like that she's got these teeny hands the big ass such a delicate feminine shape i'm sorry you know, Viv. i've got to go home
My house in Brighton was empty. One of the things it was empty of was Alex, but it felt different now. A huge mound of letters lay on the living room table, put there by a friend who had heroically also watered my plants for a year. Unable to bear the silence, I turned on the radio. After a year of sharing my life and living space with others, an empty house was my idea of dystopia. But I was glad to be back in Brighton. One thing I'd learnt, I was a city boy at heart. The city designed for human intercourse and discourse is our appropriate habitat. I took a walk along the seafront. I'd missed my home. Well, most of it. Not the guy weeing in the doorway, the dog shit, the beach strewn with litter from barbecues and boozathons. I could now see that a society based around individualism had come at a price. My parents, like so many of their generation, met at a dance, when dancing was something we did together, intimately and physically. Now on the dance floor, we choose to dance alone. Is it any wonder so many folk are lonely? I'd heard that antidepressants are now the most prescribed pills in many Western countries. That in itself is depressing. What happened to a sense of community in our cities? I walked back to my empty house. It was time to throw a party. Hello, David. Nice to have you back. Well, it's nice to be back, Jem. How's the new dream house in the country coming on? Oh, David, I've got to tell you something. We made a big mistake. It's not what I expected. It's so bloody quiet. I mean, nothing happens out there. I'm bored shitless. I need to get back into the city, to life, to people. You know, I, I miss simple stuff like popping out for a coffee in the morning, bumping into friends in town, going for a pint. We're going stir-crazy out there. I actually get excited when I hear an ambulance siren. Jem's comments reminded me of the resident at Findorn in Scotland who'd said, what this place needs is a damn good crisis. As Talking Heads Riley put it, heaven is a place where nothing happens. And who wants that? Hey, 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 David, did you hear about Zaccarlo? No. no. I guess you missed it while you were away. It was brilliant. Um, it's right up your street. It was sort of a, a, a neighbour day. It was this idea of this guy, David Burke. He wanted to get people talking to their neighbours, so he set up this day where people were invited to take a chair, sit outside their house and talk to their neighbours. Loads of people came and just sat outside their house for a few hours. That sounds great. Did you do it? <laughs> nah, clash with Doctor Who. Looked like great fun, though. So who's David Burke? It's this American guy who lives here. And when's the next Z Zocalo? Well, there won't be one. It's tragic, really, what happened to David. Oh, God, what? He moved to Lewis and had kids. The more I thought about Zocalo, the more it seemed like a simple but brilliant way to rebuild a sense of community in our cities. We respond so well in Britain to street parties, but they come around once in a blue moon and they usually tied in with some royal nonsense. It's almost as if the only way you're allowed to celebrate is by acknowledging you're a lowly peasant. David Burke's Neighbour Day, Zocalo, was self-directed. It didn't require committee meetings, fundraising, red tape or local council approval to close a road. Here was an informal street party that could run across an entire city and only required a bit of goodwill and a chair. It brought to mind something Hecase had said to me on a last night together in the Californian hot tubs at Esalan. See a gum wrapper? Pick it up. You just start with a gesture and take it from there. That's your first step towards utopia. Here was my chance to exercise Hecase's gum wrapper theory. So I tracked down David Burke and offered to help run another Zocalo. David was still dealing with the sleep deprivation of being a new parent, but he was delighted at my enthusiasm. We set up a Facebook page and a website and put up posters in local shops, cafes and pubs 
and waited for the big day. It's Zuckalo Day. You have nothing to fear, good people of Hanover. Step out of your houses, turn off your TVs, bring a chair, bring cakes, take off your clothes, run naked in the street. It's Zuckalo Day. Like magic, people began to appear. In ones and twos at first, but pretty soon, clusters were gathering. As it turned out, nobody ran naked in the streets. But people did bring out their dinners to eat. Kids brought games to play with passers-by. The elderly turned up, armed with tea and Battenberg. My own street is a cul-de-sac of 10 houses. I'd lived there for 12 years and hadn't known any of my neighbors to say more than hello to, until Zocalo. And there they all were, sitting in chairs at the far end of the road. We sat until dark, playing music, drinking, and talking. It was almost as good as being back in the hot tubs. David and I have run many Zocalos now over the years. As a result, nowadays in my street, we've got keys to each other's houses. We cat sit, borrow stuff from each other, we look out for each other. Perhaps I never was going to find Utopia in my travels, but I found that I could create a little bit of it in my own streets. And if I was to dream big, I'd like to imagine that one day in the future, through overwhelming public demand, our government will be forced to establish a new national holiday. Not a bank holiday, it's the last thing our banks deserve, but a neighbour day, when millions of us would have a day off work to plonk a chair outside our homes, share a bit of Victoria's sponge, and hang out with our neighbours and rekindle a sense of community. It will be a quiet revolution, one that won't cost any money, be based on hierarchy or exclude a single individual. It will simply be achieved with a chair and perhaps an umbrella. After all, we have to be prepared for a little drizzle some years. But it's worth remembering that while being conceived as a place of universal happiness, the nuts and bolts of what actually constitutes utopia remain unique to every single one of us. For some, it might be the kinky prison cells of the other world kingdom. To others, it could be a beach in Thailand. There's probably someone out there for whom it really is Scunthorpe. But can utopia actually be a place without conflict? Wouldn't life lose its vitality? Do we really want to become ignorant bliss junkies like the denizens of Brave New World? Perhaps the very struggle to free ourselves of struggle is, in itself, utopian. If nothing else, utopia remains a wild land of paradox. You're familiar with the scene, I'm sure. You've got the double C all to yourself on a train and are feeling pleased but anxious. The train is filling up. Your bag is plonked on the seat next to you in the hope that it'll put off anyone from sitting down. But wouldn't it be great if this happened instead? Sorry, is anyone sitting there? No, it's fine. Now, under normal circumstances in the UK, that would be the end of the conversation, without the unifying experience. It may be a delay, an unexpected attack of the hiccups, or a terrible smell emanating from another passenger, something that gives you and your neighbour an excuse to converse. Most of the time, these conversations fizzle out, but once in a while, they can pave the way to a new friendship, or even a new lover. Uh, well, looks like I've missed my meeting. Not moved for 20 minutes. Well, probably leaves on the track. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris Packet. <laughs> Or, or the wrong kind of crisp packet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm Alex, by the way. I'm Dougal. Very nice to meet you. 
And that's how my ex met her future husband, Dougal. This is what can happen when we open our lives to others. Jean-Paul Sartre famously said, Hell is other people. But then he was French after all. Since my utopian adventures, I found a different motto to live by. One shared with me by a lady called Julia in Findhorn. There's hope in people. Not systems or governments, simply in people. The next day after my first Zocalo, I checked my emails. There was one from a lawyer telling me a namesake had died in a car crash and all I had to do to claim his $1 million assets was send my bank details. But, you know, since exploring the concept of utopia, my lust for dead man's money was on the wane. And there was another email from Alex. Dear David, I hope your travels were fulfilling and life is treating you well back in Brighton. Dougal and I have decided not to go ahead with the ashram. Typical. Also, I thought I'd let you know that we got married recently in the Blue Mountains. I hope you will be happy for us. Do you? Do you really? It was a beautiful ceremony conducted by a female Buddhist monk. I cried, and Dougal cried a lot. Oh, please. And I know it was naughty, but as a one-off treat, we indulged ourselves with some vegan chocolate cake. <laughs> oh, please. We're now living in Melbourne, and I am training to be an ecstatic birther. Oh, please. And I've changed my name to Shrima Shamarana. Oh, for fuck! The Number 9 Bus to Utopia was written by David Bramwell, with additional material by Dave Mountfield. It starred David Bramwell as himself, with Emma Kilby, Graham Duff and Dave Mountfield in a plethora of small but essential roles. Script editor was Graham Duff. It was produced by David Bramwell and Andrew Mailing, and is a special six-part series for the Auditorium podcast, funded by the Arts Council England. Music is by Oddfellows Casino. The book, The Number 9 Bus to Utopia, is available to buy on Amazon, and is even funnier and more philosophical than the podcast. Yeah, I know, it's hard to believe. The Auditorium is also a best-selling book, full of fascinating stories about pioneers, outsider artists, adventurers, and counterculture heroes. It's published by Hodder and & Stoughton, and is available from Amazon and all good bookshops. <laughs>